ladies and gentlemen, well, let's be honest, this is the internet, so probably mostly gentlemen, I want to welcome you to the Four Corners Podcast on the Pit Podcast Network. There are three of us that are going to be taking one of each corner, and you're going to be in the fourth, so thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, my name is Shad. I'll be the ringleader for this little soiree tonight. We're going to go around and have ourselves an introductory episode. So I'm going to get this started. I'm going to ask, uh, or all three of us, are going to talk about when we first got started uh, in this spectacle that we're going to talk about. So I'm going to start with, to my, we're going to say, to my theoretical right, we're going to start with Brad. Well, Thanks for the introduction, Shad. And um, so I probably started watching in early 1997. Um, I started watching WCW Nitro. In fact, my the first match I ever saw was Rey Mysterio versus Juventud Guerrera on an episode of Nitro. I think it was about around Super Brawl. Uh, before then, I'd seen some, like, one-off, like, maybe a match here or there on, you know, Superstars or something. But, um, so I got I got primarily started with WCW, and I think I've always kind of stuck to that more work-rate-heavy style. Like, I've never felt super into the WWF or the WWE. Like, I'll watch it if it's on, but it's never felt like my promotion, All right. Well, then I'm going to move around the table. Sitting here with us is also Matt. Matt, why don't you take it away? Hey, I'm Matt. Uh, how I got into watching wrestling, uh, I got into it way back in 1992. Um, I was... Uh, I, I'd seen it before, um, maybe once or twice uh back in like the late 80s uh there was i can recall vividly there was like a saturday night's main event that was a wwf program obviously but i remember that was on the tv at some point and i think i wasn't watching it by myself but i think i it probably was something that my dad had on for some reason uh so i saw some of it but i didn't really understand what wrestling was or didn't really get into it until 1992 when i got sucked into Watching it based upon the whole uh, baby faces versus dangerous alliance feud that was going on in WCW. Um, started watching it kind of in the summer then, uh, and just got really into it. Started watching that. Started watching uh, WWF programming. Um, got my mom to rent uh, like WWF videos from uh, Blockbuster or whatever <laughs> was the equivalent to Blockbuster in like the early 90s. Um, but I always had a special place in my heart for WCW, and I guess once I started watching some of the older uh, stuff, like NWA, that was what I kind of grew up uh, really loving. All right. Thank you, Matt. Uh, my name is Shad. I got started consistently watching in 97 uh watching ddp and the nwo feud is what just got me hooked in although i'd seen some stuff before that the earliest memory i can think of was watching uh arn anderson and larry zabisco as the enforcers and i don't even remember what they were doing but i remember watching that somewhere back in my youth so you know and i was also a uh, wcw guy mainly 
um, you know, until WCW kind of started falling apart. And as it made less and less sense, I kind of drifted away from it. All right. There's where we came from. Uh, uh, so I'm going to shift over to, we're going to toss it back to Matt. So Matt can talk about what kind of styles he prefers. Matt, take it away. Okay, styles. Um, well, basically, like I said, since I was a big fan of WCW and eventually kind of was able to see more of the like early 90s, late 80s, mid to late 80s in WA, got to say like my probably my favorite style is the southern style um kind of southern usa wrestling style i just felt like that i don't know like it it had a lot of drama to it It had a lot of uh kind of interesting storylines everything was kind of it, it everything was presented very simplistically in a way but there was kind of layers of complexity to it um so that's kind of the style that I really, really appreciated, and I still appreciate it to this day. Like I love it when I, you know you'll see someone working kind of an older style like that. Um, another thing that's kind of like a, almost a, a, a lost art, at least in some of the bigger promotions nowadays. But I always felt like tag team wrestling was a lot better under the Southern uh, style. They really put a lot of focus on it and really made a lot of compelling uh, matches. Uh, beyond that. Uh, not that I'm an expert on it, I haven't seen really enough of it to be any kind of like aficionado of it, but I do like kind of the Japanese strong style. I think that's kind of the, the hard hitting style where it's worked almost like it's a, a legit type of sport. I found that kind of interesting. So that's another style that even though I haven't seen as much as a lot of people have, uh, really kind of fascinated by it. All right. Thank you, Matt. Uh, Brad, what about you? Well, I'm going to start this off by saying um, what I don't like is deathmatch wrestling. So let's get that out of mm. the way first, because it's easier really for me okay. to talk about what I don't like instead of what I'm into. You mean you, you, mean you don't like watching guys uh, mutilate themselves with light bulbs? No. Uh, for like five dollars. No, when the barbed wire starts going up instead of the ropes, I'm out. Uh, just as an aside, not to step on your time, but I—that's in a way why I've never really cared for ECW. Like people rave about it because I know it was like a big thing back in the '90s, but I never really cared for it at all. It's very much a product of the time that late '90s disturbed on the radio kind of time. It. It doesn't bother me as much with ECW because it's not as bad as a lot of other promotions. Where I struggle with ECW now are the unprotected chair shots. Mm, that's a good point. And and I don't I don't really want to get super political because um, I for some reason it doesn't bother me in uh, other promotions, but for some reason the attitude towards women in ECW can be really off-putting if you're not in the mood for it. Mm-hmm. So, but like, I, I don't mind, I don't mind it in other promotions like Memphis and stuff. It doesn't bother me for some reason, but like for some reason, ECW, there's just something about it that I don't know. I don't like, I don't like, and I, again, Memphis because Jerry Lawler was punching a woman out about every week or so, but I don't know. I just don't, that's another thing I don't like. We'll get into that. I don't like intergender wrestling very much. 
because one, it's not pulled off very well unless it's certain women, and I just the the level of violence is off putting to me. <clears throat> so, but so what I like, um, I'm like Matt. I like the Southern style a lot. Um, if you hear me talking about old stuff I'm watching, it's usually Mid South UWF or um, like Mid Atlantic and later WCW. Um, I also like Lucha Libre. Uh, CMLL is something I'm always watching. I like Japan a lot. Uh, New Japan is one of my favorite promotions. And the last couple years, I've been starting to dip my toe more into Joshi. And I've even started to enjoy the the world of sport, like British style with the rounds and um, the more technical style. And I like I like the I also like um, like comedy style like Chikara and DDT and the big stupid move indie style like PWG and Young Buck stuff. All right, thank you, Brad. Um, some of that uh, some of that old world of sports stuff is fun to watch just for the accents. Well, the other great thing about world of sport is seeing like people in like tuxedos at ringside and like smoking the whole time. It's yeah, it's all very formal too, even like the ring announcements. Yeah. It's it's an interesting Marty, style Marty too. Marty Jones everyone, Marty Jones. But it, it's interesting too because it's a style that doesn't have a lot of bumping to it. Hmm. And it's, it's a lot, lot of, of guys working holds like for there, you know, and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of mat work. Um you mentioned you mentioned two things, Brad, like Lucha Libre, um, which I like. But if you, I find watching, if you watch an actual program, to me, it's almost, it's kind of, I don't know, I don't entirely get. Maybe it's some of the cultural aspects because it's it's somewhat incomprehensible to to me. I mean, I love like the the acrobatics and things like that, but. You have to know the rules, and the rules you have to. It's easier to to learn the rules now, but once you understand like the rules and like the logic of it, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let me go ahead and throw mine in. I'm coming at it from actually a slightly different angle because I used to work on the indies, so I'm not going to claim that I was the great shakes or that my career cut short because of injury would have made me the next big thing in NXT or something like that, but I could I could get reactions from people, and yeah, there is a lot to be said for a good Southern-style match that tells a good story. That's the important part. Um, you don't these guys don't have to kill themselves to tell a good story. And that's the kind of thing I really enjoy. The problem is getting people that do that well. Uh, other stuff I like to see, um, you know, I enjoy watching. I don't know if you can necessarily call it Lucha, but some some fun high-flying stuff that, uh, you know, WCW cruiserweight-style thing going on was just so much fun to watch because it was very different. And you could see some very cool things. And, you know, hey, sometimes just seeing two guys go out there and just slug it out in a big old hoss fight can be fun. I also enjoy the the technical stuff because if you're going to have a technical match, typically you're going to have some pretty good storytelling in it because the story is this one's trying to work this body part, this one's trying to work this body part, and which one's going to fail first. All right. 
So there you go. A little bit of introduction on where we come from on this stuff. Uh, so let's let's open the floor up for a little bit and say, hey guys, who are some of your favorites to watch in all time? Whichever one of you wants to go first. Well, I think I think any wrestling fan is going to right off the top say Ric Flair. Yeah, he, he, that's an easy one. It, it's hard to argue with. Because he's he's such a wealth. Like, even if you see like new footage of him, like um, Matt and I, Matt and I did a mini project that didn't work out where we were watching World Class, and there was this match he wrestled with Al Madrill, who is pretty much like a nobody in the history, and they had this really good like TV match just out of nowhere. It was like a. 10, 10, 15 minute match. Um, and he was like a nobody. I mean, it was just world class. I think, yeah, he was probably no more than mid card at that point. Almadril, but they did a match and there were times and I, I I mean, I chalk it up to, to flair, but there were times you legitimately believed that this like chump was going to pin world champion, Ric Flair. Flair was always very good at looking vulnerable without looking weak. And that's that's tough to do, especially with a dominant heel. And um I'll, I'll add another one, like old school Randy Savage is a wealth of like amazing promos and just good all around work. He, he was the cream of the crop. He rose to the top. Um, one of my favorite little bits of wrestling trivia is the fact that I think Randy Savage only ever lost a world title to two men, and it was Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. I think that's right. I think if he it's lost not, one to right. Kevin Nash. No, Did he? he beat Kevin Nash. No, no, because he beat Kevin Nash, they lost it to Hogan. I'm thinking in '99. Okay. It, it's just it's one of those um, just one of those weird quirks uh, to go a little more recent um, I have been a fan of AJ Styles and Samoa Joe for 15 years now uh, I remember watching them in the early 2000s and being an immediate fan of theirs uh, just I loved the way that they moved in the ring and they were solid storytellers too. I've started saying about AJ just because his WWE run has been so good is he is, he is pretty much this generation's Ric Flair. Like he is a once in a generation talent. And I think he went underappreciated for a really long time because he was wrestling in a crappy TNA company. I'd probably agree with that. I don't think people really kind of started appreciating him until he went to New Japan and he started wrestling with Bullet Club. Um, but yeah, I agree. He, as far as like modern day workers, he's he's in the top, probably the top ten, top five. Because I think, and I think what really speaks testaments to him is he's visibly lost the step the last couple years, and I think it actually made him better. He doesn't do the Fonsbury flop anymore. I don't think I've seen him do this, the uh, spiral tap in years, but it hasn't hurt him. He's just adjusted to it. 
I think he might have done the spiral tap once in WWE. Hmm. Well, I missed supp- it. He's kind of supplanted it with that um that springboard kind of like flippy thing he does. Springboard 450. Yeah. Um. The. Okay, I'm gonna throw another one out there that uh, I always enjoyed watching. Just and I'll. I will put my finger on why. Always loved Sting. No matter when, no matter who he was against, I always loved Sting because Sting could always get people into it. He was kind of like a Ricky Morton for singles matches. People always got into a Sting match. I, you actually kind of stole my thunder. I was going to mention Sting. Sting, growing up for me, was like my... Hulk Hogan, that was the guy because I got into got into it watching WCW, and one of the very first matches I saw was it was him versus Cactus Jack, the False Count Anywhere match from. Uh, is that the uh, Beach Blast? Yeah. yeah. And I was blown away by that match because I'm like 12 years old, and to me that was like the most awesome thing ever that they didn't stay in the confines of the ring. They were like. He was like backdrop suplexing, suplexing him onto the cement, which I thought was the most brutal thing I've ever seen in the world. Um, and yeah, I became like a fan of his. Uh, I was fortunate like two years ago to see him get inducted into the, the Hall of Fame, which mm-hmm. I thought was that was really cool. Gotcha. I um, I've, I've been watching some old stuff here and there recently. So I, I've been watching. I wa- off and on I watch old WCW. So I was watching the world championship wrestling episode where he won the TV title from Mike Rotunda. So this was the height of the varsity club. So they're doing all this stuff during the match. And so he, he rolls Rotunda up and he grabs his tights and he's cheating. And he's just looking at the crowd. He has this big smile on his face. Like, yeah, look at this. I'm totally cheating and screwing this guy over. And then he won the title and the crowd like lost their minds. Um, there was, there was kind of a principle at play in that time period of, if if the heel's going to cheat, the f- face may just cheat to even the field up. I just like that little flair of personality he threw in there, which you don't see a lot. But I wanted to add, too, like, the Vader-Sting matches are just probably, like, top of my all-time list of matches. Vader is a, another one that sits at the top of my list because if you were to pull look for a great big man worker, Vader's a great example. If you were to look for a great monster, Vader's a great example. He's he was kind of the pattern for a whole generation on between Vader and the Road Warriors, you know, who were the monsters. Um, I was fortunate enough to get to meet Vader a few years ago and you know, he was just, it was nice to talk to him. If you wanna if you wanna have your mind blown, look up um, when he was the baby bull Leon White in the AWA, and it's it's Vader with no Vader gear doing sunset flips and like drop kicking people. Hey, we got to see him do moonsaults. And he, he has the best ring gear ever when he does his Japan like the elephant mask. Oh, that mask. Yeah. The story I heard is that 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 mask it took like two guys with remote controls to operate it. Oh, it had correctly. Yeah. Oh, and that Matt, do you have anyone the uh I the like HR Giger mask yeah. basically? 
Yeah. His match with Anoki, with old man Anoki, like where he just beats the piss out of him is great. <clears throat> um, Matt, did you have, since I stole your thunder with Sting, did you have anyone else you wanted to enter in? Um, there's probably a bunch of guys I could pick. Uh, I'll go with, I'll change it up and go with someone a little more contemporary. Um, I know we had kind of mentioned behind the scenes about doing more of a discussion of him later. And I think that we should probably hold off on that. But Daniel Bryan is, I mean, I, I still watch wrestling. I don't watch nearly as much as some people do. But just because I don't really have the time, but he is one of the few people in the last few years who's really kind of emotionally drawn me into watching it. Um, I, I think he's a tremendous worker. Obviously, I was really sad to see him have to retire. Obviously, he's back now. Um, we'll see where that goes. But just I, I'm not. I, I don't know exactly when he started. I know the first time I became aware of him was like in 2002. Um, and just watching him progress through like indie wrestling and then eventually into the WWE, uh, culminating, you know, in his, his world title reign, um, winning at WrestleMania 30. I don't know he's someone who I really kind of got invested in, um, just because not just beyond like, obviously he's the underdogs, he's smaller than some of the other people, but just his whole story of, you know, loving wrestling, working his way, through the indies, eventually making it big and then achieving his dream, like main eventing WrestleMania and winning the title. Like, uh, I just, I'm compelled by his entire like life story and the trajectory of his career. So, um, and obviously he's a tremendous worker. So, so I love watching him wrestle. I think we will be devoting an entire episode to talking about the guy, mm-hmm. um, in the not too distant future. Uh, I'll um, throw, I'll throw a list of guys currently that i enjoy and we you can discuss them kind of i don't know if any of them strike your fancy so obviously uh braun Strowman is one of the few guys that i go out of my way to see even if i'm not watching raw because that guy can make something as stupid as brain awesome (laughs) and um i in the chocolate cake thing from a couple weeks ago like he's just He's just extraordinary. Like, he's not quite there in the ring yet, but man, that guy has an aura of just, he just has an aura. He's something, because he's, when he debuted on the main roster, which was how long ago at this point, like two years ago, it's been been quite some time. Yeah. And he showed up and I was like, oh my God, this is so typical of WWE. It's just some big meathead. Uh, on the screen and literally in that amount of time he is probably my favorite person in WWE right now because I mean they've booked him they've booked him extraordinarily well for the most part they've Uh, had a few hiccups lately I think they have they've had some hiccups uh, but I think he actually has he's he's obviously shown he has a lot more charisma than I would have ever given him credit for because he see so the next person I mentioned is going to be like him, but he has he has the charisma that he can actually overcome like the bad material they give him. Yeah, I was going to say Braun Strowman from a couple years ago in my head was labeled as big stiff. You know, he was just a big stiff who happened to be strong. To now, 
one of the rotating wallpapers on my computer is Braun Stoneman sitting in a chair on a black background holding holding a cello like a guitar. Because that sounds like it should be so stupid, but it worked. So then the next man is the only person I would buy a t-shirt of right now. And because every day is just Rusev Day. Apparently Rusev's t-shirts are selling like crazy. Uh, they're hard to they can be hard to get they're sold out sometimes uh, but I'll, 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 I'll package Aiden English up with him because the singing is really really great but um, I'm I'm surprised that English was able to basically continue having a career there but he did it he got himself over with the singing. Well, I mean, he it was it was an interesting gimmick when they were doing it, but it really didn't. It, what the crowds really weren't getting it until they started singing about Rusev. And, it, I mean, it was unique, but it didn't have a hook to it, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I I just can't believe that they're not doing more with Rusev. They really should be, given how over he is. And I mean that. I mean, and, I was and, gonna. He's in great shape right now because my wife hadn't seen him for a while. She's like, "Wow, he's like really in good shape." I'm like, "Oh yeah, he lost like 20 pounds last summer." <clears throat> the um, I want to take it back for just a second because I'm going to hit some some niche favorites of mine. Um, I've been a martial artist, good lord, for 26 years now. Uh, growing up, and I even did like a an undergraduate thesis on it when I was in college. So that means that Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman were two of my favorite guys because I felt like I could identify with them. And then you hear the backstage stories about them and they just seem more badass. The other one I was going to put out there. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to go martial arts and not bring up Jerry Flynn. I am very intentionally going to do that. Um, that was, I did, did, not. did you mention Jerry Flynn? Yes, the Jerry Flynn was, guy. Jerry Flynn was awesome. I will I will fight anyone <laughs> who says otherwise. He was one of the most underrated uh, things about late 1990s WCW. Like he'd but pop he, on, he'd throw like a perfectly decent little match. <laughs> he was. I couldn't tell he, you what it was, but something about him just turned me off. He um he was amazing. He, he he was a very underrated like douchebag sleazeball. Well, yeah, the man had a mullet. I know. Kentucky Waterfall. He he feels like he should have been in the Karate Kid movie, like um, bullying Danielson. They could well, have brought now, him in as a uh, uh, Sensei John Kreese's uh, younger brother or something like that. Yeah, we can't take that away from Billy Zabka, but. Um, and then the other one I was going to say is a guy who I stole maybe about a third of my moose from was Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, in my opinion, one of the best examples of a guy getting a finisher over like nothing else. And Randy Orton was basically just kind of operating as as a carbon copy off of the groundwork that Page laid. Yeah, but Orton could never do like what DDP did where – you would just be watching like the weekend shows and DDP would be like, Hey, I'm going to see if I can like pull off this like 
crazy diamond cutter, like, I'm going to, like, put him on my shoulders and, like, kind of, like, put one leg in the air and still see if I can hit it. Like, Randy Orton's never, like, done that. DDP had variations on the diamond cutter that other people used as finishers. Mark Merrow used the TKO, which was a Samoan, uh, a fireman's carry, into a diamond cutter. Like, that's that's how many versions of that DDP had. And I think I, what, one of my favorite Nitro moments was when he was dressed as Laparka. Yes. That was amazing. And the crowd popped like crazy for that. Yeah. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Randy Savage goes for the elbow. He eats the he eats the uh, the feet to the chest when he comes down to drop the elbow. Laparka gets up. All of a sudden, drops the diamond cutter, and in the middle of the three count, Page pulls the mask off, and the building came apart. Stuff like that is why, to this day, I'm still a DDP fan. Combined with him apparently just straight out being a decent guy. Uh, I agree. I think I think DDP was always a. I, I he, he was funny because he was uh, he was someone who wasn't obviously a big deal in the early '90s, but he was always kind of entertaining as like a, a total like sleaze. Um, but when he when he got better in the ring and did adopt the diamond cutter, um, his his popularity exploded, and, and uh, I think he's actually given interviews about this but he really does give a lot of credit to to macho man for putting him over in that that brief view that they had and macho did actually make him look really good oh yeah and that's what kind of made him a star he he went from being kind of you know undercard guy to actually somebody that people wanted to see wanted to see actually like compete and win being a top baby face yeah well that that story tells about like the plan have you heard the story he tells about like the planning of that match where they're like backstage and like hey savage what do you want to do with this match he's like i think i'm taking the diamond cutter and he uh, was just blown away by that like while he's lacing up his boots yeah um i remember the story they were working i think they were working a house show or something and they did a, a scoop slam reversal into a diamond cutter and Paige asks him after the match, he goes, what do you think? And Savage goes, well, I think I found, we found our finish for Halloween Havoc, brother. Yeah. And he's just floored because not only is he getting to work a program with Savage, but Savage is putting him over. It's just, that's, you know, it's just really special. I also want to talk about someone that I find new depths to love constantly is Scott Steiner. I don't know if you guys watched. I'm sorry. I don't know if you guys watched it last year, but they did this. Um, was Jeremy Borash and Joseph Park, who's Abyss versus um, Josh Matthews and Scott Steiner. So they. So what this is is it's like it's kind of like this tag, but then it turns into this like, uh, kind of turns into like the Broken Hardy universe. And so. You, you see this and you realize like Steiner is this like super self-aware guy with like a sense of humor and they're like chasing them and he's like he's like you run you fat asses he just calls them fat asses the whole time and they get sprayed with like a fire extinguisher and they're like in this car chasing them and he's like 
he's like asking Josh Matthews about his teeth because they got sprayed of the fire extinguishers. Like it makes me look like a clown. <laughs> and just like and then just like the stories about him, like Petey Williams like Cracker Barrel story about him, just I think about that when I'm bored at work some days and I just laugh like years after hearing that story. <laughs> have you have you heard the Cracker Barrel story? Was I've that not going heard the that. wrong way, the one way street story. Yeah. And so, oh, and so only, then, he's only going one way. And <laughs> and then well then so then um he was just on the last t- big TNA show, well, Impact show. And Petey Williams is there, and he stops by and says, you know, and he teases them a bit, and then they just, like, make a quick reference to that. It's it's stuff like that that I love Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner will always hold a special place in my heart for his math lesson. That 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 promo will always be something that, that makes me laugh. And I'll throw I'll throw out some random people. I don't know how much you guys have seen them, but I love I currently love Pentagon Junior, who does Lucha Underground. He's doing Impact right now. Um, I, just I have, lost my train of thought. I have nothing for you on Pentagon Junior. He's like a super emotive. Like he's like so at Joey Janela's Spring Break. Like he was gonna punch this guy, and he go he does this like he puts his finger up to his mouth to tell the crowd to be quiet, and then the guy ducks and he punches the the ring post but this is also new orleans where um you weren't supposed to hit people with chairs and stuff so it's literally like the match just starts and he just grabs a chair and just smashes the guy right in the head with it like 20 seconds into the match (laughs) okay um Um, matt have you got anybody else you'd like to add in uh Kind of going with modern day guys. Um, there's so many I could actually choose from. Let me just stick with uh, WWE. Um, yeah. <laughs> in the ring, he's still not anything great. Um, but I am I am constantly amused by Elias. I've become a, I'm quite the Elias fan. Golly, that gimmick works, doesn't it? He makes it work. He's got a lot of charisma. It's it's funny. Um, I, the first time I saw him do that, I started cracking up because uh, douchebag hipster that is playing guitar that nobody wants to hear. That's a genius gimmick. That's that's just that's amazing. And the fact that he he like wears a blouse and a scarf whenever he's out there is great. Yeah, I, I, I told Shad before we recorded this that it took me a while to turn around on him, but I really appreciate how he emotes in the ring. I'll throw another one out there. I think, uh, Shad, you probably haven't seen him wrestle. Mixon might have, but um, Hiromi Takahashi, who's in New Japan. I've seen a little bit of him, yeah. I got to see him when he was here as a young boy on a learning excursion versus Dalton Castle and they had a really great match but I just kind of love the the look when he comes to the ring and he's just kind of a weirdo and he's got like the spray painted fur coat and you know he's just like the ticking time bomb it's just he's a really interesting character and he usually puts on really good matches uh I'll add another guy um I'm not super familiar with his work I've only seen a little bit of it um and I'm going to throw him out here because I actually got to meet him recently over Mania Weekend, but 
from what I've seen of uh, Jeff Cobb, who was Matanza in Lucha Underground, um, he's pretty good. He's uh, kind of a big man power wrestler. Um, I, I'd be shocked if somewhere down the road he doesn't wind up going to the WWE. I actually think he could be pretty successful there. He's not a super tall guy. Um, I'm about six foot tall. I think he's like my height or so. But the dude is is built like <clears throat> a brick wall. He's very wide. He's a very wide man. Um, but has a lot of charisma. Really nice guy. Um, can definitely play like menacing based upon how he looks. Uh, and also has really good like power wrestler. Um, I think I think one of his gimmicks or part of his gimmick is that he's like a suplex machine guy, and he's done a lot of he's done some recent work with New Japan. Um, that I've got to see a little bit more from him, him actually like working, and I think he's someone who in the future is going to be kind of a bigger deal. He's a he's a PWG mainstay. Yeah. He's um, I I haven't seen a ton of him yet. He's not my favorite by any chance, but like I said, I've only seen probably a handful of his matches. Well, I want to throw one last one in, and I'm I'm curious to see how you guys respond on this, but I cannot let a list of favorites go by without putting Mick Foley on that list. Um, Someone who proves that a nice guy can succeed in the wrestling business and who was an excellent storyteller in the ring, even if most of the time he just got beat up. But, um, you know, I, I just loved watching his stuff. So I have a long kind of, I have a long journey with Mick Foley. So I'll just get off off and say if he, if his comedy show is ever in your town, it's worth going to see. Um, he's very engaging. I enjoyed his. He had two books, right, about his career. He had like four, but only two of them really sold well. Okay, I've only read two of his books, so I enjoyed his two books. So I I enjoy his work, like when he was a wrestler, like. About after his initial retirement, though, I I have this um, I have this up and down with him, like when they bring him back. Like sometimes I enjoy it, and sometimes I just kind of wish he'd go away. And I really have a, like it doesn't diminish like how much I enjoy like his writing or his, you know, him as a person. But I get into these weird places with him when he's in, interacting with the modern product. And um, I really dislike him for bringing on his daughter's fiance or whatever to the world. I don't remember his name. Is, are you talking about Frank the Clown? Yes, Frank uh, the Clown yeah. can fuck off and die. <laughs> don't hold back, Brad. Well, so, so anyway, like... I. I, I've I've had to really come to a place where I've had to. So for a while, modern Mick Foley made me not appreciate old school Mick Foley, and I've kind of I've kind of found that balance. But there are times I do not enjoy modern Mick Foley. All right, fair enough. 
uh, I know the day guy's got good days and bad, but I can look back on a lot of his stuff and appreciate it. I mean, now in the nineties and like into like when Triple H retired him, I think he's great, great character. I just think some of the stuff they've used him for since then can be not great at times. Okay. Like, I didn't enjoy him as, like, an authority figure at all this past, like, what, couple years? I have to say that in watching, um, Mick tried to do something to kind of pass the torch along. And so he tried to pass the torch to Ambrose in preparation of Ambrose's match with Lesnar at one of the manias, right? Mm-hmm. Am I remembering correctly? And then that, that whole storyline got undercut by them not doing a full-on, like, deathmatch-style thing. So I feel like part of it might be the fact that Mick's just getting undercut by a different creative team than he worked with, or not having the same kind of freedom he used to have. Yeah. Oh, I did forget, though. So he is kind of on my good side because I laughed my ass off at him taking the dick suplex. Okay. Get that Joey Ryan reference in tonight. Um, Mixon, is there anything, Matt? Would, is there anything you'd like to add in? Uh, yeah, I was a, I was a fan of Foley too. Um, I loved him again because <laughs> I already mentioned like uh, Sting versus Cactus Jack was one of the first matches I ever saw. Um, I I didn't necessarily appreciate him as much back then, but when he got injured by uh vader like the whole worked injury that he had he got power bombed on the cement floor mm-hmm. um and then they did some dumb segments where he was like homeless and like lost his memory on the when he was when he was lost in cleveland yeah that was really dumb but i was sucked into him turning face against vader mm-hmm. um and actually convinced my parents to buy me like that pay per view. The it was actually one of the, I think it was in Halloween Havoc '93 or '94, where it was spin the wheel versus uh, Vader. Um, I was really sad that he lost that match, but I be, I became kind of a fan of his there. And then I really enjoyed his his run as Mankind, and then you know the entire basically his entire WWF run up and. T- Right until when he got retired for the first time. Um, I'm kind of with Brad. I think some of the later stuff, it's, it just hasn't really gelled. But um, overall, I do like his career a lot. I would commit grievous bodily harm to get my hands on a cactus or on a dude love t-shirt now. Doesn't Pro Wrestling Tees have them? Mm, they do not have the dude love shirt. Pro uh, Wrestling Tees has, has a black shirt that says dude love on it. But how can you oh. have a dude love shirt that's black? I, I must have been thinking, because you can still get the, the Cactus Jack one. I um, happen to have one of those. I happen to be wearing that as part of a Mankind costume when I met Mick Foley, who complimented my mask and then autographed it. <laughs> I, have a, I have a picture with him some from his comedy show. So. Um, have you ever heard, heard Jim Cornette talking about like how they got him into WCW? Um. Was that part of the monster feeder thing for Sting? No, so so um, they were using him as a jobber, and Kevin Sullivan and 
Jim Cornette really liked him. So what they would do is they would use him in tags and he would lose every week, but then he would get pissed at his partner and like elbow drop them off like the apron onto the floor. Oh. So they kept doing this because they were trying to get him in. And they said, so like, so like they said it got to the point where like the crowd would like want the winners to get out of the ring so they could see fully like elbow, do his elbow drop thing. But they were just talking about like this backwards way they got him in. Yeah. Okay, I remember that from his book now. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that we can end our introductory episode of the Four Corners podcast at the Pit Podcast Network here. I want to thank Matt and Brad for joining us tonight. And what do you guys think? Uh, wherever this is posted, feel free to leave comments. If you like what we've done, share it with folks. And one more time, I want to say thank you all for joining us. And good night.